A protester assaulted after people pulled him into a Chinese consulate in the UK. British police now investigating. Beijing refusing to renounce the use of force on Taiwan. The head of the Chinese Communist Party reiterated the message during a major Congress meeting. A setback for Xi'an, the fast fashion brand from China. It involves a $1.9 million fine slapped on the company by New York State. Texas moving to safeguard retirement assets, cutting teacher pension funds exposure to Chinese stocks in half. And Beijing ready to use force on Taiwan when China feels necessary. How should the island react? An expert breaks it down. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. British police are investigating an incident in the British city of Manchester. Five men from the Chinese consulate there reportedly pulled a protester into the consulate grounds and assaulted him. The incident left cuts and bruises on the protester's face. In response, Beijing says its embassy and consulates in the UK always abide by the laws of their host country. Here's more on what's happening. UK police are investigating the apparent assault of a Hong Kong pro-democracy protester who was pulled into Chinese consular grounds and beaten. The incident happened during a demonstration against Chinese President Xi Jinping on Sunday in the city of Manchester in northwest England. In a video posted online by the BBC, a man in a black cap and a ponytail can be seen being hauled by several men through a gate into Chinese consular grounds. The protester, known as Bob, is then kicked and punched by five men as he lies on the floor. Police at the scene eventually step in to free him. A Greater Manchester Police spokesperson told Reuters police inquiries were ongoing into the circumstances. They added that their officers responded immediately to defuse the situation. Speaking after the incident to the BBC, Bob, who has recently emigrated from Hong Kong, said the protest was peaceful. Several people from the Chinese consulate came out and destroyed our belongings. When we tried to stop them, they dragged me in and then punched and kicked me. Later, the British police pulled me out again. It's unreasonable and should not be done, because we have the freedom to express things. This is the reason why we came out to protest. The so-called government of Hong Kong says we are thugs. What are people in your government in China doing now? Who were the thugs? We are a peaceful demonstration. Why beat us? Britain's Foreign Office did not immediately respond to a request for comment. In a post on Twitter, Alicia Kearns, a Conservative Member of Parliament and head of the Foreign Affairs Committee, has called on the Chinese ambassador to be summoned. The Chinese consulate in Manchester offered no immediate reply to requests from Reuters for comment. But at a news conference in Beijing, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenbin told reporters he wasn't aware of the situation. He added the Chinese embassy and consulate in the UK always abide by the laws of their host country. A friend of the man involved, who was also at the scene, said Bob had been left with cuts and bruises to his face and went to hospital for treatment. Protesters with banners had been outside the consulate during the first day of the Communist Party Congress. It is widely expected that Xi will be granted a third five-year leadership term during the twice-decade event. The British Prime Minister's office described the reports as extremely disturbing, saying police patrols had been stepped up in Manchester following the incident. 
China's Communist Party leader says China has achieved comprehensive control over Hong Kong. As for Taiwan, he reiterated Beijing will not renounce the use of force to take over the island. Here's more. Leader of the Chinese regime, Xi Jinping, signaled on Sunday that his government would maintain policies over Hong Kong and Taiwan at the opening of the Communist Party Congress in Beijing. He said China had effectively exercised full control over Hong Kong and achieved comprehensive control, changing the situation in the city from chaos to governance. He said, we will make sure the central government exercise overall jurisdiction over Hong Kong and Macau and make sure they are administrated by patriots. She said China will faithfully implement the policies of one country, two systems. The party leader said China will continue to strive for a peaceful reunification with Taiwan, but we will never promise to renounce the use of force and we reserve the option of taking all measures necessary. She said the use of force is directed at outside forces, interference and separatists who seek Taiwan's independence. Taiwan and China split during a civil war in 1949 that brought the communists to power in China. Many Taiwanese reject the term reunification. They are saying that they were never part of communist China. The Communist Party's policies on Taiwan and Hong Kong have been harshly criticized by the US and other democracies. The twice-a-decade party congress is expected to give Xi a record third five-year term in office, cementing his place as the party's most powerful ruler since Mao Zedong. Xi Jinping used the term patriots in saying that Beijing makes sure Hong Kong is administrated by patriots. The term patriots here refers to people who are loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. For example, the head of Hong Kong has been elected by people consisting of almost only these so-called patriots. China has officially kicked off its most important political meeting, the 20th Communist Party Congress. Here are the key takeaways. Kicking off the Chinese Communist Party's Congress on Sunday, Chinese leader Xi Jinping said he wants a world-class military. We must implement the party's idea of strengthening the military in this new era, implement the military's strategic policy for this new era, and maintain the party's absolute leadership over the people's military. The party congress is crucial for the Chinese regime. It will decide who will hold positions of power in China. And Xi Jinping is expected to secure an unprecedented third term. Party leaders would also set out their priorities and goals for the next five years. Xi spoke for two hours, listing out achievements under his rule. Most China observers say there were no signals of changes or anything new. It stayed consistent with his past speeches. Xi hailed the country's zero-COVID-19 policy. That's despite it having wreaked havoc on China's economy. She also spent more time talking about the need to maintain national security. An expert gave his take on what could happen after the party congress. But what that means is that Xi Jinping will now have established uh, his control over the party. So since he does have his domestic situation in place, we should expect that he now has the opportunity to convert his power uh, and attention Uh, in international politics, against his neighbors in the South China Sea, uh, against U.S. interests in the Indo-Pacific and globally. The meeting runs for a week, wrapping up this Saturday. 
Chinese fast fashion retailer Xi'an is back in the spotlight. This time, it's over an almost $2 million fine, a data breach and leaked passwords. Here's more. A setback for one of the world's fastest-growing e-retailers, Xi'an. New York State has slapped a $1.9 million fine on Xi'an's parent company. That's over failing to secure customer information from a data breach, plus lying to customers about the scale of the breach. Xi'an is a fast fashion retailer from China. It's popular among millennials and Gen Zers in the U.S. The company's sales in America exploded during the pandemic. At one point in 2021, the numbers even surpassed established brands like H&M and Zara. In 2018, hackers targeted Xi'an's parent company, Zotop. They got their hands on the personal information of tens of millions of the company's customers. Among them, over 800,000 are residents of New York. The data breach includes credit card information, names, email addresses, and account passwords. Hackers were able to steal login credentials for 39 million Xi'an users. But Zotop only contacted a fraction of those 39 million users about the data breach. It also didn't take measures to protect other accounts that were compromised. That's according to a statement from the New York State Attorney General. The statement adds, Zotop tried to downplay the scale of the breach. Texas is keeping a closer eye on its teachers' pension funds by limiting their exposure to Chinese stocks. The state's teacher retirement system just got the go-ahead to move to a new benchmark with fewer Chinese stocks. The move would reduce the pension fund's exposure to China by half, about 1.5 percent. The pension fund holds over $180 billion in assets. It will begin a six-month transition period this month to adjust its portfolio. Now we turn to Europe. The head of Germany's domestic intelligence service, Thomas Holdenwang, gave an update Monday. He said China's influence on the West is far bigger than Russia's. Quoting foreign partners, he added, Russia is the storm, China is climate change. The German government seems divided over how to handle China. A heated debate is happening in Berlin over whether to let a Chinese shipping company invest in a port in Hamburg city. It's Germany's most important port. Intelligence says China could use stake it holds in critical infrastructure as leverage to pursue political goals. And control over a port would be considered critical infrastructure. Germany's economy ministry also wants to veto the Chinese company's bid to buy a stake in the port. But the chancellor seems to be leaning more in favor of the business side. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz says decoupling from China is the wrong answer. Scholz said at a Berlin business conference last week that Germany must continue to do business with China. Scholz reportedly plans to visit Beijing in early November making him the first G7 leader to travel to China since the start of the pandemic. Decoupling from China wouldn't be easy for Germany. China has been Germany's largest economic partner since 2015. Last year alone, the two countries exchanged almost $240 billion worth of goods. Back when taking office, Schultz said he emphasized a values-based foreign policy, one that would focus on democracy and human rights. Schultz's cabinet pushed for a harsher stance on China. This marked a shift in attitude from former Chancellor Merkel, who largely took a business-first stance toward China. 
Now we turn to an update on China's pandemic situation. Is it possible to eat while wearing a mask? Well, some people in China have figured out a way. While most of the world is learning to live with COVID-19 in low numbers, China, on the other hand, continues to maintain its strict zero COVID-19 policy. Here's more on what's happening. New videos went viral of Chinese citizens wearing a beak mask while eating. Eating with a mask on is part of the Chinese regime's strict zero COVID policy. In a video, children at school are seen eating with their masks on. The Chinese regime's harsh measures to contain the CCP virus has received a lot of backlash from Chinese citizens on social media. In one video, two girls on a train took their mask off to eat and a person nearby reported that to the police. They then asked the girls about the purpose of eating. And another video shows the owner of a restaurant eating alone until two COVID prevention staff came in and demanded that he wear a mask. A heated argument then broke up. China recently reiterated its readiness to use force on Taiwan if or when China feels it's necessary. What's the first step Taiwan should take in that worst-case scenario? We spoke with James Carafano, the Heritage Foundation's Vice President for National Security and Foreign Policy, to find out more. And James, you mentioned earlier how, you know, the U.S. will most likely make sure Taiwan can defend itself and make sure this Taiwan Strait is open since it's strategically important to us and economically important to us, never mind ideologically. So what would those steps look like? Well, I mean, I think clearly if you want to take a lesson away from the Ukraine war, why the Ukrainians were successful is, first of all, they demonstrated the willingness and capacity to fight on their own and that gave essentially time for the west to kind of catch up with supporting ukraine i think the lesson for taiwan is that's a situation you want to duplicate you you want to be able to survive an initial chinese attack to demonstrate that you can and then you want to have a way that that people can bring you aid and support and be resupplied so that means holding Chinese Air Force at risk at, at depth, right? It means preventing ships from being able to move in and land on your shores. Um, so that's anti, anti-ship missiles. It means holding the places that the Chinese would launch capabilities from in the mainland at risk. So the ability to fire long range missiles to interdict ports and, and airfields and other facilities. Coming up, Washington's declining power on the world stage not only harms its own interests, but also boosts totalitarian regimes. That's according to James Carafano, the Heritage Foundation's vice president for national security and foreign policy. We need to be not stupid and recognize what the Chinese are doing. They're not out to coexist with us. They're not out to live side by side with us. They're not out to be tolerant about us. They're out to see less of us. Hear his take on the idea of peace through strength and more in just a minute here on China in Focus.
Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Totalitarian regimes rose from America's declining power. That's how James Carafano, Heritage Foundation's Vice President for National Security and Foreign Policy, views the issue with China and its allies. But he told us there's still hope for victory. Here's his take. And James, from the, say, consensus and point of view in America, what could an individual do? Well, I think the number one thing that Americans have to understand is the concept of peace through strength, because that's a very powerful message to our enemies, not not to risk threatening core American interests. That thinking vanished after 1989. It, some people thought it was important. Other people didn't think it was important. Other people wanted to do less. And, and you could, in a sense, excuse Americans for not thinking about national defense as a core issue because there didn't seem anything in the world that required that. You know, sadly, I think part of the result of that was because of our our um, indifference or, or, or lax attitude towards the idea of peace through strength, that we've created the problem that we have today. It's, it's empowered and emboldened enemies to think that they could challenge American interests. And so as American military capacity really declined relative to the threats that we face, um, we've seen powers rise up to threaten that. If you add up today, for example, everything the Russians, Iranians, North Koreans, and Chinese can do, it is a threat. So we look at where does the United States have to defend its interests? What can can the threats do there? And what capability do we have in quantity and quality to deal with that? And and it's an objective measure that we measure the U.S. military in the same way every year. Well, it's declined significantly under this president. And and our, we can think all we want of our enemies, but the one thing they can do is count. And they can look at the quality and quantity of American military capability, and they can see it decline vis-a-vis them, and, and they see opportunity there. I don't think the Russians would have tried what they did in Ukraine if they didn't sense weakness. So you have to build a military that's large and strong enough to protect your enduring interests before you can do anything else if you want to, if you want to protect your interests in the world. So I think whether it's the Taiwan Straits or the U.S. contribution in NATO or the role we play in the Middle East or in our capacity to do elsewhere in the world, it has to start with providing for a strong common defense, which parallels, by the way, we have to have a strong and growing economy because not only do we need an economy to supply everything else, you need an economy to play for defense. So we have to stop the silliness and excessive spending and, and the other nonsense, which is restraining the U.S. economy because we need a strong economy and a strong military. It sounds like, in a way, perception is reality in many cases to these, say, adversarial powers. And on the note of peace through strength, there are some that are calling us currently in a Cold War between the U.S. and Beijing. So what's your view on that? Look, I think that the leaders of Beijing and the leaders of Moscow and the leaders in Tehran, they want to wake up in a world without America, that they see the United States as the single greatest obstacle to the expansion of their power and influence, and and they want to do things to diminish us. I, I don't know, I don't care what you call it. You can call it a cold war, hot war, call it anything you want, but they are conducting malicious actions against us to hurt us. It's ongoing, it's persistent, and it's incredibly dangerous. And I think the only way the United States is going to be safe in this world is if we diminish 
their capacity to do that. And, you know, I don't know where that leads. I don't know if it leads the Chinese to have a different foreign policy or average from government or, or a different way of running their country. But I don't think we can wait around for that. And we don't, can't depend on what that happens. Our job is to protect us against people in Beijing, which who I think are out to get us. They're not out to coexist with us. They're not out to live side by side with us. They're not out to be tolerant about us. They're out to see less of us. And what would that look like, James? Would it be sanctions on these individuals or how would that actually work? Um, the answer is, is anything that weakens the capacity of the communist Chinese regime to threaten American interests, I think, is on the table. Um, I, don't, I don't think it means direct armed conflict. And the reason for that is very simple, because in this, in this way, it's a perfect parallel with the Cold War. Countries that have nuclear weapons don't fight each other but with nuclear weapons. I, I think that's a rule no, nobody's going to break, because you know, there's a thing called escalate to de-escalate, which is, hey, I'll, I'll use a few nuclear weapons, and that'll convince everybody else I'm serious, and, or, and they'll all just stop and let me do what I want or whatever. This is a completely untested theory. It's, it's like the, the guy with the wax wings who thinks he can jump off the cliff and fly. It's a great idea conceptually till he actually tries it. Nobody's ever used nuclear weapons and then hoped that everybody else would just not. So I, I don't think we're gonna have a direct military conflict with China um, because conventional and strategic deterrence are li linked and if nuclear armed powers are fighting each other, there's a significant threat of nuclear escalation. But Taking that off the table, I think everything's on the table. And it's not because the United States put everything on the table. China put everything on the table, whether it's economic warfare or political warfare or cyber warfare or diplomatic warfare. China is already at war with the United States in these fields. If we don't recognize and defend ourselves against that, we're just, we're just ignoring reality. Seems like all of those falls under China's unrestricted warfare, right? Winning a war without the conventional means of weapons. So on that note, any last words? Sure, I think, you're, I think you described it well. Um, the Chinese strategy is to win without fighting. And that doesn't mean that nobody fires, a, does any fighting, but it's the notion about we, we want to win by having the enemy not fight back or not be able to fight back and to undermine them in a way is that limits their capacity ability to fight. We need to be not stupid and recognize what the Chinese are doing um, because you know what, two sides can play at that game. We can, we can play it win without fighting. And you know what, in the end, if the United States is smart uh, and we use all the resources that we have available in a smart way, we can do it a lot better than the Chinese can. And they'll, and they'll in some future historian will, will, will write what were these leaders in Beijing thinking when they, when they went after the United States? Well, James, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. That's all for today's China In Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.